Well, some things just don't go together. Uh, ice cream and gravy, I'm told, don't go well together. Uh, with your clothes, checks and stripes. I got Catherine to check my clothes before I got here this morning. Uh, me and any sort of power tool, really, uh, we just don't go together. Uh, but there are some things that more than just don't go together, they can't go together. Uh, oil and water, they just don't mix. Uh, light and darkness. Uh, these things just can't go together. They're mutually exclusive. You can't have one with the other. They're incompatible. Now, this bit of Galatians that we've just had read for us is all about an incompatibility. There's two things that just can't go together. And for those of us who have been here as we've been reading Galatians, it'll come as no surprise to us that these two things are the gospel of Christ and the gospel of Christ and the law. These two Gospels have been banging against each other all the way through Galatians. And for one last time, Paul is going to put the sword to the Christ plus the law Gospel. And he does it by showing us that when it comes to being justified, Christ and the law are incompatible. They can't mix. And so you and I need to be careful that we don't try and help Jesus out at all. We need to be careful that we have our faith in Christ and in Christ alone. We must rely on him to do everything for us because Christ and the law, when it comes to being justified, they're incompatible. Paul gives us two reasons why. And the first reason is because the law alienates you from Christ. As soon as you try and help the Lord Jesus, you're losing By thinking that we can help him, we would undermine his finished work. We would make the cross irrelevant, and so Christ would become of no value to us. We alienate ourselves from him if we go for the law. Have a look at chapter 5 and verse 2. Verse 2. Mark my words. I, Paul, tell you that if you let yourselves be circumcised, Christ will be of no value to you at all. Again, I declare to every man who lets himself be circumcised that he is obligated to obey the whole law. You who are trying to be justified by law have been alienated from Christ. You have fallen away from grace. Paul's saying Christ and the law are incompatible. If you go for the law, Paul says, Christ is of no value to you. Because if you go for the law, you're saying that you can make it on your own. You're saying that you can keep God's law well enough for God to be satisfied with you and that you don't need Christ. Whereas Christ says that only he can justify you, that he can give you something you don't deserve. He can give you something that you can't get for yourself. He'll justify you by taking the penalty for you by dying in your place on a cross. So it's either Christ did enough when he died for people's sins, or he didn't. Either we trust him to do it all for us, or we do it ourselves. We can't have it both ways. It's a bit like an Olympic athlete. Olympics are just over, and I'm sorry about the recurring thing, but I'm an Olympic fanatic. Uh, Imagine that you're an Olympic athlete. You can choose to be either a clean athlete or one that uses steroids. But you can't do both, can you? As soon as you choose to use steroids, you... Uh, eliminate the drug-free option. You eliminate the clean option. You are either clean or you use steroids. But you can't be both. 
It's the same with the law and Christ. As soon as you go for the law, you eliminate Christ. Because either he justifies you all by himself, or he doesn't do it at all. Think about it for a bit. If we try and help Jesus along by being good, we're saying that his death for sins wasn't enough. We undermine his work and we insult him by suggesting that when he said, it is finished, he was only half finished. But this is the Lord Jesus Christ we're talking about, the creator and the sustainer of the universe, the one who specifically came into this world to completely pay for the sins of sinners, that they might go free. So to suggest that he didn't get the job done, that his death didn't finish paying for sins, and that we need to be good as well for God to be able to accept us, that's not just ludicrous, that's blasphemous. Either Christ deals with our sins all by himself or he doesn't justify us at all. So do not, do not walk out of here this morning thinking that you can somehow help Christ deal with your sins. You can't help him. You can't do it by yourself. When it comes to making ourselves right with God, we are completely impotent. Which means that if we are to be justified before God, if we are to be declared innocent in his sight, we are going to need someone else to do it for us. That's why it's by faith. We, we have to trust someone to do it for us because we can't do it ourselves. We have to trust Christ to make us acceptable to God. And so being obedient to the law, being good enough for God, it has got nothing to do with being made right with God. The only thing that counts is faith. Have a look at verse 5. But by faith we eagerly await through the Spirit the righteousness for which we hope. For in Christ Jesus neither circumcision nor uncircumcision has any value. The only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. And when Paul says that neither circumcision nor uncircumcision uh, has any value, he's referring to God's Old Testament law. Circumcision was a sign of being under God's law. It was a sign of being Jewish. And what Paul's saying here is that none of that matters anymore. With the death of Christ, uh, he has made us righteous. He has given us the hope of an inheritance in the new creation. And so being Jewish, being circumcised, having the law, trying to be obedient to God, it's of no value, none, when it comes to being made right with God. It is simply faith in Christ, trusting in him to justify us before God. Now, as Paul says, this faith will express itself in love. Uh, That's what he says in verse 6. And uh, next week we're going to think a lot about what that will look like, uh, what this faith expressed in love looks like. But for now, Paul's point is simply this, that if you want to be justified before God, if you want to be innocent before him, if you want to escape his judgment, it's faith in Christ that matters. Because the only thing that counts is faith. Uh, You might have heard this one before. Back in the uh, 1850s and the 1860s, Blondin made a name for himself by walking across uh, Niagara Falls on a tightrope. 
And one day in front of thousands of people, uh, Blondin walked across the Niagara Falls. He reached the other side uh, to the cheers of the crowd. And then he said, do you believe that I can walk across Niagara Falls with a man on my back? And the whole crowd said, yes. And so Blondin said, well, who's going to climb on board? And of course, no one said anything. No one put their hand up. No one moved forward. But then his manager walked up, climbed up on his back, and Blondin took him across the falls. Here's a picture of uh, Blondin with his manager uh, on his back walking across Niagara Falls. Now, who got the manager across? Well, Blondin did. It wasn't that Blondin got him most of the way there and then put his manager down and said, well, you can do the rest yourself. Uh, It wasn't as if the manager was helping Blondin at all. Uh, In fact, if the manager had tried to help Blondin, they both probably would have fallen off. His manager simply had to trust Blondin to do everything. You and I have to trust Christ to do everything. Christ doesn't do most of the work of washing away our sins and then leave us to do the rest ourselves. It's not that Christ needs our help in any way. As we've already seen, if you try and help him, you lose him altogether. Our trust is to be in Christ and in Christ alone. Now, back in Galatia, there were lots of people in the church uh, who were actually falling for the Jesus plus the law gospel, Jesus plus be good gospel. And Paul was really worried because they were abandoning Jesus. Uh, A few people had come to Galatia, told them about uh, this Jesus plus the law, that that's what they needed to do. Some of the church family believed it, and now it seemed like more and more of the Galatians were being fooled into believing the lie. It was working, this false gospel, working its way through the whole Galatian church like yeast through dough. Have a look at verse 7. You were running a good race. Who cut in on you and kept you from obeying the truth? That kind of persuasion does not come from the one who calls you. A little yeast works through the whole batch of dough. See, the false gospel was running rampant through the church. At a cotton expo in 1884 in America, one of the visitors picked up some water hyacinth plants. Uh, Here's an example of one. Uh, It's a plant that grows on top of the water. And uh, this visitor to the expo, uh, when he returned home to Florida, uh, he, he picked up one of these hyacinth plants. When he returned home to Florida in the USA, he released this plant into the St. John's River. Seemingly harmless act. Uh, a little, little sample of water hyacinth. Unfortunately, it spread like wildfire into the neighbouring waterways, into the lakes and into the rivers, into neighbouring states. And today... Some 120 years later, the water hyacinth plant chokes uh, many lakes and bays. It's a menace to wildlife. It causes floods. It interferes with navigation and irrigation. It excludes native plants and it costs a fortune in eradication. And it's all because one man let loose one plant in one river. Started off small, but it worked its disastrous way through the whole system. Now that's like the false gospel in Galatia. started off with just a few people saying it, but it then spread through the whole Galatian church. And we need to be reminded that this sort of thing can still happen today. It still does happen today. Slight change to the gospel here, add a bit here, take away a bit there. And the gospel's been subtly but completely changed. And there are masses of people out there holding on to false gospels. 
So, for example, John Shelby Spong, you might have heard of him. He writes books about Jesus. He talks a lot about Jesus. And he sounds respectable, progressive, contemporary. But he doesn't believe that Jesus physically rose from the dead. At best, Spong believes in some sort of spiritual resurrection for Jesus. And so it sort of sounds plausible, spiritually raised from the dead. And there are lots of people out there hanging off every word that Spong says and writes. The Apostle Paul, though, he says in 1 Corinthians that if Jesus has not been physically raised from the dead, then Christianity is worse than useless. Spong's gospel is a different gospel. It's a false gospel. And many people have been fooled by him. His gospel is spread like gangrene, like yeast, like a water hyacinth plant. And the same could be said for the Mormons, for the Jehovah Witnesses. They talk a lot about Jesus, but their gospel is entirely different to what we read in the scriptures. And it's not as if being in a Presbyterian church somehow makes us immune from this sort of thing. Who's to say that in 10 years, 20 years' time, that we don't have some well-respected minister here in Dubbo Prezi sprouting some gospel that sounds plausible, believable? It's a gospel that talks a lot about Jesus. It talks a lot about the stuff that's in the Bible. But in the end, it's all about us needing to do things to make God happy with us. And so all of a sudden, we're being led astray. We're being alienated from Christ. We're being moved away from trusting in him and in him alone. Now, who's to say that that won't happen? Who's to say? You're to say. You're to say that that won't happen. You are to make sure that the teaching here at DPC comes from the Bible. And it's not some man-made gospel. You have to work hard at making sure that you test everything that's said against what the Bible actually says. Now, back in Paul's time, uh, you could not only tell that uh, his gospel and the law gospel were different by their content, they actually said different things. The second reason that Paul gives that the law and Christ are incompatible is seen in how people react to them because the gospel of Christ is offensive, whereas the gospel of the law isn't. Preaching Christ crucified attracts persecution. Christ says that people are completely sinful and we can in no way save ourselves. We have not got what it takes. It's not very flattering. People don't like being told that they're hopeless and that they're completely impotent to save themselves. It offends them and they'll persecute you for saying it. Whereas preaching that you can be good enough for God, well, that'll win your friends. There's a whole bunch of books out there on this topic. To say that you can obey God's law well enough, you can do it. That's to say that inside you there's some good. That, and if you just fan your intrinsic goodness into flame, you can prove yourself to God and you can satisfy him. You're basically a good person. And you can save yourself. You have got what it takes. You are able to fix things up. Now, that's not offensive. That's flattering. But Paul was being persecuted. He wasn't winning friends because his message was offensive. And so he couldn't be preaching the law gospel. Have a look at verse 11. Brothers, if I am still preaching circumcision, why am I still being persecuted? In that case, the offense of the cross has been abolished. 
it seems that there were some in the church uh, saying that Paul's gospel was the same as the law gospel, that Paul believed that people had to obey uh, the law, that they've got to get circumcised to be right with God. But what Paul's saying here in verse 11 is that that can't be true. If I was preaching the law gospel, then I wouldn't be being persecuted, Paul says. But I am. I'm hounded out of every town. The Jews want to kill me. And it's because my gospel says you don't need to be a Jew. You don't need to keep the law. Christ has done everything for us. In fact, later on in chapter 6, Paul says that the reason the law gospel people have added the law onto Christ is so that the Jews won't persecute them. Uh, they, They don't want to offend them. But Paul has offended them. And Paul must offend them. Because the law and Christ are incompatible when it comes to being justified. Christ is offensive. The law isn't. Preaching Christ crucified attracts persecution, appealing to self-effort. Well, that'll win your friends. And we're going to be thinking about being persecuted for the sake of Christ in a couple of weeks. But for now, though, from these verses, we need to be clear on this. As soon as you add anything to Christ, you lose him altogether. As soon as you undermine his completed work on your behalf by saying that he needs some help, to get us over the line. As soon as you do this, Christ is of no value to you. A Christ supplemented is a Christ supplanted. A Christ added to is a Christ abandoned. A Christ helped is a Christ dumped. Because the only thing that counts, Paul says, is faith. Trusting in him alone to justify. So don't walk out of here thinking that you can add to Jesus and be right with God. God doesn't help those who help themselves. You heard that old chestnut? God helps those who help themselves? That's a lie. It's a lie. God doesn't help those who help themselves. God helps those who admit that they can't help themselves. So don't walk out of here thinking that you can be good enough for God to accept you. Instead, walk out of here trusting in Christ alone to make you right with God? Will you walk out of here humbled by Christ, admitting that he can do everything and you can do nothing? Will you live this week knowing how good Christ is and how ordinary you are? Will you give up on those thoughts that urge you to think that your godliness can make you more acceptable to God, that he'll love you more if you do good things? Will you give up on that lie? Will you consciously, deliberately praise God for Christ today, tomorrow? Are you willing to be persecuted for this great gospel of Christ? Please, I urge you, walk out of here with your faith in Christ and in Christ alone. And so walk out of here with joy, knowing that he has done everything for you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we want to thank you that though we are sinners, we can be justified before you. You can declare us to be innocent because of the death and the resurrection of your Son in our place. Thank you for being so generous. And we pray that you would help us to have our faith in him and in him alone. 
Help us to encourage one another to fix our eyes on Jesus, that we would rely on him for all things. Father, thank you for Jesus Christ, our King and our Saviour. Amen.